And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, conversationalists across the fruited plain, Mr. and Mrs. American, all the ships at sea, the ladies who lunch, princes of the universe, captains courageous, and the people from the wrong side of the tracks, it's Open Line Friday. We're back. We are back and ready to go. And I gotta say, I did not get anything done this week that I wanted to get done this week. But that's okay, I guess. Hello, everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci Fi for Me. Glad to have all of you. So, um, uh, if you're here live, you can jump in, and if you're not here live, then, uh, you know, you can you can still leave a comment. But I give a shout-out to the people who are listening to this show as a podcast. Uh, we have people showing up everywhere around the world. We, uh, we even popped up on the radar in Mexico here this week, so good to have all of you with us. I do want to invite you to check out the live video, which is... Uh, available on YouTube, Odyssey, and Twitch. So uh, so do check that out. Because sometimes we have visual aids. Sometimes we have things, what we show you, that don't quite translate into, uh, into radio that much. So anyway, all right. <laughs> uh, my goodness, what a week. What a week. All right, so I, I get in... I decide, okay, Monday through Thursday, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Monday through Thursday off in order to uh, try to clean up some email, <coughs> clean up some email, ads, and and book some guests, maybe finish my taxes, and, and and just do some general things about the place. Now you'll notice I did get the I did get the the. Uh, the comic book covers, the metal comic book covers on the back wall over here. So that that corner is finally, I think, finally done. So that's finished. I got that. <laughs> I got that much accomplished anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. That all morning I've been fine. I've been fine all morning, and then this crops up. All right. So, uh, so that's done. The, the this this area back here behind me to my right all of that I think I'm finally able to sit there and say it's finished but I wasn't I I did not manage to get done 95 percent of anything that I had planned to get done this week because of other things what happened so it is what it is it's the way it goes I have uh, I have been shown I have been taught not to make any plans and it just you know just roll with whatever happens and I'll just I'll just go along for the ride and and there it is I wanted to set up the store this week so we could start selling <laughs> selling mugs and merch you know t-shirts and maybe some patches of and, and the cough is a nervous tick MS I wish you know I don't get nervous about much anymore 
there there are a few things I sit there and go, yeah, I don't know about this one. But I don't I don't get nervous too too much anymore about this stuff. I mean I mean I've been doing this for thirty four years. I have forgotten a lot. And it's interesting. I come across a, an interview with uh, with Orson Welles. Uh, somebody posted it over on uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> it was an interview with Orson Welles about his success with Citizen Kane, and the fact that he was able to do so much and get so much in his contract. And 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 Welles was like, "Well, it's only because I kept asking for the impossible, and they gave it to me. I I want I didn't want I didn't want money. I wanted authority." <coughs> and the reason that they were so successful is is he says he had a he had a, a cameraman who basically told me he says, you know, everything you can do with a camera you can learn in about half a day. Everything else is just fluff. And Orson Welles says that his success comes out of his ignorance. He didn't know what things were impossible when it came to making a movie when he made Citizen Kane. It was his first film. And he's like, well, I don't know that you can't do it. Nobody told me you can't do it, so we did it, basically. is what I'm paraphrasing. He says it a lot more eloquently than I did. And he talks about the fact that there are the, the concepts of things, expertise, in any, in any, in any, any uh, uh, discipline, you learn the basics. After that... It's just you know, rep- repetition. You, you you learn. You add some different things back and forth. But the basic concepts of things, the basic principles of a thing, whether it's media production or plumbing, or any anything else, <clears throat> the basic concepts are the same. The principles never change. And I, for whatever reason. I forgot about that when we were first getting into podcasts because it was really tough for me to wrap my head around this idea of a podcast. What is this thing? And when it finally clicked in my head, this is radio that you can download. Then it was easy. And everything else has become easier as a, as a, 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 a result of that because what is this YouTube thing? Well, it's just television. This is just a different kind of distribution model for TV. And Sci-Fi for Me is a TV channel. And we have various different shows. We're like a, we're a network like NBC or CBS or you know, UPN. And we have regular audience members, regular viewers, and regular listeners of the podcast. The podcast is basically a radio and the the YouTube and the Odyssey stuff, all of this live streaming stuff is just television. The CW, CW, yeah. So sometimes I am guilty of overthinking things. It happens sometimes. And I'm sure some of you have done that as well. Uh, So, you know, it is, as they say, it is what it is. All right, I'm going to copy. Let me do that. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, with this, between between my cough and, uh, and everything else that I've been doing this week, it's, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to let you guys do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let you guys talk. 
This is this is open line Friday, which means you guys get to to pick and choose the topics. I do want to say though, uh, oh Cam's trying out the new Diablo Four. Let me know how it, how how it goes. Uh, Sci-fi so No one's ever accused me of thinking too much. Yeah, well, you know. <clears throat> I want to say hi uh, to other people in the chat. I see Matuine. I see Keely saying hi from Taipei. Keely must be on walkabout out there. I did see Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves last night. Mr. Harvey and I went to a preview screening and enjoyed the movie. I know there are a lot of people. I, I, I jumped on uh, the Thursday Night Throwdown over on Comics Division's channel last night afterwards and talked about it because I heard them all making these assumptions it was going to be terrible. All these assumptions is going to be woke. All these, and all these assumptions are based on a couple of trailers and an interview that the directors gave where they, they tossed a one-off joke saying that they'd always wanted to emasculate Chris Pine. They do not emasculate Chris Pine's character in this movie. Let me make that clear. Chris Pine's character, Edgen, has a very specific reason for why he is the way he is when we first meet him. <coughs> and having gone through similar circumstances myself, I can totally understand why he is the way he is. I'm, I'm not going to give you spoilers, but I can totally understand his motivation for doing what he does and for being the way he is. Um, Michelle Rodriguez's character is fine. She's not some woke, uppity, feminist, icon, girl power type at all. And MS, I will... Yes, I mean, there's a video clip out there that that's, that destroys that surprise. There is that minor spoiler. The cartoon characters are in it briefly. <coughs> I will confirm that. But it's it's a fun movie. It holds together pretty well, and it really does feel like the 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 writers got together and gamed out a number of different campaigns, and then they strung them together. And said, all right, this is our movie. Because it goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's almost like, if, if it was a video game, it was almost like your your side quest, right? We've got to do this, and then we have to do this, and now we got to do this, and we got to do this. Because ultimately, the goal is X. But in order to get to X, we got to do these little pieces first and build all of the things that we have to have in order to do this big thing at the end. And some really good set pieces, some good action, action pieces. Uh, and, of course, being Dungeons & Dragons, you have to have a dragon. <laughs> and I've got to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, but the dragon, this is probably the most unique, <coughs> the most unique take on a dragon that I've seen in a very long time. When Tim and I were looking at it, it was like, you know, this is this is the kind of thing where the dungeon master decides, I'm gonna have a little fun. Tee hee. The dragon is the dragon is great. I I I really this is gonna be fun. Guys, you need to go see it. I <clears throat> aside from the fact that we need to be supporting other media besides the big superhero tentpole franchises. But the theaters 
need the audience. The theaters need the traffic. The theaters need the the ticket sales to survive. I've I ran across a thing a couple of weeks ago. The theater owners are saying we need at least 100 movies in the theaters to survive as an industry. So in these cases where you have a a, a film that's entertaining, there's there's I didn't see any messaging. There's no lecturing, there's no preaching, there's no ideological, you must believe this way type of thing. It's a fun movie. And it really does kind of feel like the fantasy films of the late 80s, 90s with a bigger budget. It's got that same kind of tone. It's a mix of action and humor. And the humor works for the most part. And there's some there's some surprises. There's some fun little bits. And I I can recommend going to see it. And if you're still kind of iffy, go to the matinee. So it's a cheaper ticket. <clears throat> but I do recommend that you go see this thing in the theaters. Because it is a big action fantasy epic type of thing. I mean, there's a dragon. You don't want to see a dragon on a little 30-inch screen. See the dragon on the 60-foot screen. It's good. It's a, it's a fun it's a fun movie. It really is. <coughs> so, and well, that's that's as far as I'm going to go. The the the, the, <coughs> the characters work really well as a team. It's a good mix. Everybody's got something to do. They all have a reason to be there. And uh, and the 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 motivating force behind Edgin's character that's kind of the through line for the for the film, it has a a, a a predictable arc, but it's executed well. I mean, you can see it coming for a while, but it's a satisfying trip to get there. You know how it's going to end because it's, it's that kind of movie, but it uh, it works. It works. So there's my recommendation. I can't post an article with a review because my website's broken. <coughs> I got an email this week that my database is over the two gigabyte uh, limit. And so I have to delete things in order to put in this little SQL code uh, so it can start self-cleaning. But I can't delete I can't I can't put the SQL code in to start cleaning until I delete something. I have no idea what it is I'm supposed to delete. So that I've got to deal with. But anyway, there's my recommendation for DD. And no, Edgin does not become a lesbian. <clears throat> so see, this is the kind of thing we start making jokes about this and and, and and this is what I talked about before. We we are in danger of making these snap judgments based on a trailer, based on an interview, based on one little thing that somebody says. And we just automatically jump to, oh, well, it's going to be woke. We have to be careful about that. Now, there, there are some things where, yes, absolutely. I mean, when, when Patrick Stewart came out and said, yes, Picard is absolutely going to be about Brexit and Trump, then we knew going into it. I mean, he explicitly said that this whole thing was going to be political. But in this kind of thing, I think when... When the directors of this movie said that they, they had looked forward to emasculating Chris Pine's character, I think they were making a joke because they don't do that in this film. And Chris Pine is an executive producer on this film. And interestingly enough, 
this is not a spoiler. When they when they ran the end credits, I noticed, and I don't know that anybody else is going to care, <clears throat> but I noticed Paramount Pictures presents yada 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 Dungeons and Dragons based on Hasbro's Dungeons and Dragons. I get it. Hasbro owns Wizards of the Coast. But Wizards of the Coast manages Dungeons and Dragons. Except, and I don't know if this has anything to do with rights and media rights and whatever whatever the deal is for Paramount to make these movies. And it's probably going to get a sequel. <coughs> but it was interesting that this movie is credited as being based on Hasbro's Dungeons and Dragons, not Wizards of the Coast's. Dungeons and Dragons. That's a choice. That's a choice that somebody made for some reason somewhere up the food chain. I just thought it was rather interesting. All right. Let's bring in. Oh, I can't do that. That's not a touch screen. Let's bring in Christopher Hoffman, who is alive. All right. Hello. Here we go. We had people in the we had people in Discord asking if you were okay. So here we go. Here's proof of life, ladies and gentlemen. Christopher Huffman is still is still with us. So well, uh, well, welcome, sir. For, for for the time being, yes. I'm, right. Uh, 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 dealing with some with some stuff, but I'm trying to tough it out to be here today. Well, we appreciate um, that. You had something that you wanted to share and and talk about here real quick. I'm going to give you the floor. Yeah, actually, before I do that, I wanted to see if you could uh, pull something up um, because you were talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And um, we all know, or those of us who have played Dungeons and Dragons have known the uh, the uh, sticky horror of the gelatinous cube. Um, <laughs> but Wiz Kids, well, actually, Kid Robot. The um, they're a custom kind of vinyl toy company. Oh, uh, right. They have actually come out with a plush gelatinous cube, <laughs> and I don't know if you could pull up an image of that. Or, well, do or you not. have? Do you have it? You can share. Do you have that? Up and that on yours? Um, let's see. Yeah, I have it on the Wiz Kids website. I don't know if I could. I I don't. I have it on the screen here. I don't know how to share screens, unfortunately. Uh, well, if you're on the same Your screen yard, uh, there should be a share button. Uh, present is how it's labeled at the bottom. Okay, present. Okay. And you should okay. be able to pop that in there, and I'll get it. I'll get it attached here. <clears throat> do -do 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 -do. Got it. All right. There you go. Can you see it? Getting there. There you go. There we go. This is the, yeah, it's the WizKids Gelatinous Cube. <laughs> and it's a little plush. And you can open it up. And inside of it, it's got a shield and a skulls and bones and a sword. Nice. And they actually, the Skeleton actually glows in the dark. Well, that's and, fun. And I was like, 
Oh, I I think I might need one of those. I have a I have a we have well, we've got we've got an anniversary coming up this magazine does here in 6 days actually. We will be 14 years old. <clears throat> oh wow. Wow. 14 years. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says a real D&D movie would be two hours of four nerdy kids rolling dice around a card table in mom's basement. Funny you should say that. Because Chris Pine did an interview about this. He said when they first got started on this and he got involved in the project, he sat down with his family at the kitchen table and they played D&D for the very first time. And that includes his mom and dad. And... I'm sitting here trying to wrap my head around the idea of Sergeant Gutierre from Chips playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm thinking, what kind of character would he put together? Uh, because I, those of you who don't know, Robert Pine, who played Sergeant Gutierre on Chips, is Chris Pine's father. And the older Chris Pine gets, the more he looks like his dad. <laughs> Wouldn't he be a uh, a lawfully good uh, paladin? You know, I wonder about that. I mean, he's played enough villains that maybe he's chaotic neutral at this point and, and just kind of balances everything. Or maybe he just picks something that's so completely wildly inconsistent from everything that else that he's done. You know, uh, evil druid or something. I Just whatever. I, I But I'm just like, Sergeant Gutierre playing d and I, I want to see that. I, I want that. I want that in the thing. But I, it does feel like, you know, it does feel like that we've got uh, several people sitting around the table coming up with various different scenarios that that is the, the spine, the foundation for the script. Because some of these some of these pieces do feel like many campaigns that got played out. Okay, well, how is this going to go? How is this going to go? And then the dungeon master says, ah, but then... and messes the whole thing up because there's a couple of places where it's like, oh, that that's going to complicate things. And that's the dungeon master saying, they're going, you think you're going to win. Ah, 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 ah. It's a fun movie. I recommend it. Go see it. <laughs> MS says, what does this movie do better than others that have failed? Um, that's, that's, an, that's a good question because I did not see the others. I'll admit. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't see it. The, the thing is, you have, uh, you have a better budget, and I think you have performers that are at a little bit higher level. I mean... All due respect to Justin Whalen, but you know, I Justin Whalen in in Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, this is Jimmy Olsen against the uh, against the dragon. It it just didn't work. I mean, Jeremy Irons, go for it. He's he's it makes an excellent villain, but uh, <clears throat> a lot of it is execution. When the story holds together and you've got talented performers, at least skilled performers. Uh, delivering their lines and they're emoting well and everything's going fine, then uh, then sure it's uh, it's going to work and the story holds up and that's the key. If the, if the script is good, if the story holds up, you can still have not great actors and still pull it off. But if your story is crap, 
no amount of talent is going to bring it up to the level it needs to be to be successful. Hugh Grant is in this thing, and he is he is properly chewing the scenery as a con man. He's not the same kind of villain that Jeremy Irons is, but you can believe exactly what his motivation is because, well, of course that's what he's going to do. Because they set that up at the very beginning of what kind of character he is. So it's it's good. And it's not, you're right, it, it, if it is fun, it's better than 90% of the movies out there. Because it's not preaching to anybody. It's not lecturing me. I didn't get any feel at all that there was any, any kind of intersectional, identitarian, ideological Marxism in this thing. So if there is, it's buried. <clears throat> but the relationship between Chris Pines, Edgen, and uh, and Michelle Rodriguez, um, oh, I can't remember her name right off the top of my head. But they're they're more a brother sister dynamic throughout most of the picture, and it works. You know, they're they're best friends. They've been through a lot, and you know they're hanging together, and they'll they'll give each other grief when it needs to be, and call each other out on their crap. It's a good movie. So, and no, no kids switching in. This is actually set in Neverwinter. These are people who actually inhabit this world. These are not kids getting portaled in like the 80s cartoon kids who are in the movie. So, anyway, all right. So, now, having having got past, past that, Christopher, you've got something that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, um, speaking of uh, films that are, uh, I guess, highly creative um, and, well, not I guess, but are highly creative and uh, more of a team effort uh, than a solo project. Um, Recently, uh, of course, Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, won the Oscar for Best Picture and over here, I do a show called Vault of the Killer Bees, and um, it reminded me of a uh, film that I have in the vault that I wanted to highlight real quick, um, and that is 2010's uh, Reign of Assassins, and it was actually the first film that... Um, Excuse me. It was the first film that brought back uh, Michelle Yeoh and her. Um, let's see here. Oops, Michelle Yeoh and her um, martial arts skills. She hadn't done any sort of martial arts based films. Um, since Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in, in 2000. Um, but as we all know, you know, going back as far as 1992, um, she uh, is was famous for uh, her martial arts skills and showing those off on film. Um, this movie is from 2010. It's, it's called Reign of Assassins. It's a Chinese film. It was... Co- uh, it was produced and co-directed by John Woo. Um, 
and without Michelle Yeoh being in Reign of Assassins, it would quite possibly uh, she and getting her footing back into the martial arts uh, field and the choreography, that sort of thing, uh, it would quite we quite possibly wouldn't have had uh, everything everywhere all at once. Um, it's a really fun film. It is kind of a uh, a well, it is a Chinese fantasy film, very heavily wuxia um, influence. So you've got like a lot of wire work, a lot of uh, fantastic martial arts weapons. Um, there's a sword that. Uh, literally is a wobbly sword <laughs> um, that uh, like flings out like some like a those 80s uh, slap wristbands um, and they've got other different weapons and stuff like that but um, I was just gonna come on real quick and just recommend if you can find it it's available on prime and uh, you can pick it up on DVD too. Uh, it's Reign of Assassins. I've got the the cover right here. You know what Where's we ought to do is take up? a look and see how many of these are available for Twitch watch parties. And that, I I will double check on that. I do know, for instance, uh, Chinese Ghost Story uh, Three is um, available, and that's a great Chinese fantasy movie. Oh. With a uh, a uh, <laughs> uh, d uh, demonic succubus um, who has a tongue that comes out and and yeah she'll she'll give you a a, a violent tongue lashing as it were <laughs> okay um, and uh, it also has a some demons who have. Uh, uh, nails that they, you know, shoot out, you know, from her fingers and she'll like slash you with them. And then you pull the camera pulls back and her nails have like curled up. <laughs> and, that, and it's so it's, it's fantastic. Um, apologies if I'm a bit off, I'm not, uh, I'm not feeling well, but, uh, if you, if anyone has a chance to, uh, <clears throat> uh, check out Reign of Assassins. It's uh, you should be able to find it easily. Just look under John Wu Reign of Assassins. Although it was directed by Chao Bin Su, um, with John filling in for some of the uh, the action things. It's got a bit of a face off thing to it because it starts off with a younger actress uh, portraying Michelle Yeoh's part. And she's part of a gang of elite assassins, each with their own kind of weapons and stuff like that, um, and specialities. And they've stolen a um, a the ashes of a mystical Buddhist monk, as you would. Sure. Um, and uh, then she decides that wait a second, I want out of this gang. I want out of this life. She takes the monk's uh, ashes to hide them and then like you know return them to its proper place at a time 
but in order to hide from the assassins, she changes her face. And there we have Michelle Yeoh, who carries the rest of the film. And um, there's one set piece where one of the assassins um, is uh, sort of like a mystical wizard kind of a character. And uh, one of his attacks is the um, levitating rope trick uh, that you usually see as like uh, the Indian rope trick. Oh, right, right. He'll throw up the rope and um, it'll grab someone and it the rope throws uh, throws them up in the air, you know, with them bound in it. Um, and uh, like kind of teleports them to somewhere else and it's it's just a a great sort of uh popcorn movie it unfortunately it's not dubbed um but um the subtitles are good um and uh you can pick up the storyline even if you don't um prefer subtitles or anything like that all right. Well, we will add that to the list. Maybe, maybe we'll let's let's look into that and see if we can maybe start putting together some watch parties on some of these vault entries. That, sure, you, definitely. When um, you're feeling better, you should go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, one one last thing. Um, Marvels come out with the Excalibur set. Oh, okay. From the X-Men. And um, the Megan character is, is finally a, a figure. Um, she was a shapeshifter for Excalibur. We've got another Captain Britain. But the reason I bring this up is this one. Is, uh, we've got a Kitty Pride here, a shadow cat. Mm -hmm. And she's in her traditional costume. And this is the first time that she's been in a traditional costume as a figure. We've had her as like the shadow cat figure, right. like agent Kitty pride. And also um, in the X-Men uniform, but um, this sculpt is really, really nice on her. Cool. And she actually looks like a teenager uh, here, which yeah. is great because if you read the Claremont comics, uh, back in the day of Excalibur, which are a fun read. Um, I believe Alan Davis was doing the art um, uh, at that time, but he um, didn't necessarily um, know how to uh, uh, draw uh, teenagers really well. So it was like <laughs> you have this teenage, you know, esque dialogue for, for Kitty Pride. And it's like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? You know that sort of stuff, and yeah. and, and here she, she is like uh, a total a total bombshell, and <laughs> I was like, wait a second, <laughs> how old are you? I don't yeah, know. Right. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna but, bring um, in uh, I'm gonna bring in Sci-Fi Snob. He's he's probably got some opinions of some things here, but uh, so I wanted to to jump in here just in case you had anything you wanted to say to Christopher before Christopher left about the the project, the movie he talked about, or whatever. Um, no, not really. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Michelle and uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, that's some some good uh, uh, Chinese uh, martial arts stuff. 
big fan of that stuff. And uh, yeah, you should go to bed, man. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you sound bad, man. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. All Look right, after yourself. No, get, no, no, get it doesn't, better. It doesn't bother better. me. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Christopher. Right, thank you, you very sound much. Sound like you're hurt, right, man. Go, go, drink, no, drink you, plenty of water, lots of vitamin C, and and all that good stuff, and and we'll catch up soon. Feel better. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. See you later. All right. Okay. So the um. Yeah, it bugs me to see people in pain like that. Uh, he's. Uh, he, yeah, and <laughs> and I we we've been communicating and and making. Okay, make sure that you check this and and go deal with this and all that. so yeah we gotta we gotta make sure he's he's back to 100 percent uh soon hopefully so yeah i hope so um i wanted to mention something just on your D D uh spread here yeah um i have a uh i have a book recommendation okay um there's this series of books that people probably don't know about it's called the reluctant king and it's by L. Sprague de Camp. They're from like the late '60s, and they're kind of—they're not based on D and D, but uh, the story—the story follows this guy named Joran, and it's set in a medieval setting. Um, and he is—he uh, gets to be king of this city-state. Now, the the city-state, um, what they do is they—they uh, have the the king rules for five years, and at the end of five years, they cut his head off. They throw his head into the crowd, and whoever catches the head becomes the next king. So he gets to be king because he's walking, you know, he's kind of walking. He's like in the city. He's like, what the heck's going on? And then something comes out of the air. He grabs it, and he's like, what's this? He's like, oh, a head. And then everybody picks him up on his shoulders and says, yay, and takes him off. And, you know, he has drunks and parties. And, like, you know, a week or two later, he finds out that, what? I'm going to be, you know, cut off. My head's going to be cut off in five years. So he decides to do, you know, he decides to try and escape, of course. Of course. And he, um, but of course, the kingdom has dealt with this very often. So they know all the tricks. So he can't, he can't escape. So then he tries to, um, you know, he, he starts take, you know, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. So he starts, you know, bringing all these various characters in who teach him how to do various things like steel, pick locks, all these various skills. Um, so, but uh, the whole, so that's a bit of the background, but the, the book starts at, at his execution, which he has to, which he has to escape. And he's uh, um, got the, this uh, wizard, uh, he's met this wizard and he has to do a, uh, a steal something for him afterwards in order mm. for him to escape. So that's where the book starts off. And uh, the, char- the main character, he's a bit, uh, so it's a bit cheeky, the, uh, the, you, as you can tell from just that description, there's a little bit of humor in there. Um, the characters are quite interesting. Uh, anybody who likes fantasy, um, this is fantasy with a little bit of humor, um, and it's it's not based on any on Dungeons and Dragons or anything, so it's a completely different world. Right. Um, I would uh, completely uh, recommend it if you can get a, a hand on it uh, somewhere. And, it might be kind of hard to find. Physical media. Actually, yeah, get I don't, a book. I don't know if you could find it on uh, online. I mean, I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, uh, st- or anything, stuff but... like that. You probably are looking at eBay or um, uh, used bookstores, half price books, or or any of yeah. your local bookshops or anything like that. So, so if you if you like any type of fantasy and you like it with a little bit of humor in it, uh, not not so serious, uh, it's a good read, well written. Okay, I will make a note. It's called the Reluctant King. 
that the series is called the reluctant king it's three books okay the, f- the first book is the goblin tower i think um the uh the clocks of iraz and the unbeheaded king is the, th- is the third one l l sprague l dot sprague de camp so yeah i haven't seen it much very well where friend put it on to me like 40 years ago 35 you're not that old i'm older than you (laughs) (laughs) not by much (laughs) Uh, a little bit by a little bit ms says i think sci-fi snob might have to do a story hour for us a story hour. Oh, I story don't want to talk hour. about that too much. I'd rather get. I don't want to spoil too much of the, the book. I'm trying to get my daughter to read it. She kind of likes this stuff. Yeah. And she kind of she kind of likes some fantasy stuff, and she likes a little bit of humor. She keeps asking me, um, give me another writer like um, like Douglas Adams, like The Hitchhiker's Guide, and I'm like, well, there's nothing like, yeah, there's nothing like him. I can't recommend anything like this that's like him. So, well, um. I'm trying to think. Dragon Riders of Pern is not humorous like that, um, but it's good. Uh, it's it's good fantasy. Um, yeah, no, it's just it's that offbeat British humor, you know that 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 you know. I mean, you that got sensibility. Terry, you Nobody got writes Pratchett. like Adams. You got Terry Pratchett out like there. That. Um, Who's that? Sorry, Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett, you might you might recommend him. He's kind of like him. Uh, I know Tim I would. I've read much yeah. of stuff. T- uh, Terry Pratchett and because uh, Pratchett has is the the world that sits on the back of the turtle. You know, the elephants on top of the turtle and the and the world. Uh, what is it? somebody help me out in the in the uh, in the chat there? Um, MS says tell your tell your daughter about Robert Asprin. Discworld. Thank you, Mindy. Robert yeah. Asprin. Yeah, I've seen yeah, Asprin, Asprin stuff. Uh, but yeah, um, Terry Pratchett has the Discworld universe. Yeah, um, I don't know about Red Dwarf. I don't know if she would, because uh, that's science fiction more. But well, I, I guess. I mean, and, and we're getting and we're getting more. Fiction. We're getting more Red Dwarf. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, two different kinds. Because Grant and uh, uh, Naylor and and what's the other guy's name? They can't they can't get along, so they're each going to make their own. Uh, their own versions of Red Dwarf, which is kind of weird to me, but okay. Didn't you say that one, but they're using different media, though, isn't that I correct? don't know. I, I, nobody knows what it's going to look like yet. That was the speculation mm. that one of them might do you know, TV and one might do audio or something, but no, there's, nothing, there's nothing official yet as far as like what they're going to do. So we could get, we could get two two different series of Red Dwarf with the same actors in it. It's, it's weird. Very, very strange. So, anyway. All right, so we've pinned the, uh, the link in the chat for anybody who wants to join the conversation. Uh, we are we are so, Pens- Pennsylvania 65,000 this week, so anybody else wants to jump in here, you are more than welcome. Something that I've it. noticed, and, and Snob, you can help me with this. Something that I've noticed... Sure. <clears throat> it's every week we have the same people calling in, which is fine. I, I, I absolutely am not going to tell you not to call in. How do we get more people to make that leap 
and and put themselves front and center and and get out here and share their thoughts because every everybody's got ideas everybody's got things to 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 talk about well uh, i'd rather not because i'm a bit of an attention whore and i like the attention <laughs> to be upon me so um i um it's okay. really scary uh don't come on jason <laughs> I, uh i gotta say you for five minutes before you do we've got um, i think yeah, we yeah, have don't, don't i was telling mindy this morning even we have got probably one of the most chill audiences in terms of interaction because uh we we rarely get come i mean the chat is active don't get me wrong when we're live the chat in in the youtube side of things there's a lot of stuff that's going on over there and that's great to see but we hardly ever get comments after the fact. We don't get anybody, you know, making comments in any of our videos. I don't get any email that says, hey, you should invite so-and-so as a guest. You guys are some of the most laid-back, relaxed people that I've ever encountered I, online. I don't know, man. I, I get death threats all the time. <laughs> people showing up at my house. Well, that's the time police I've coming had to shoot a you. couple that's people. Just, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, the thing is, is uh, you make a comment about um, your comments afterwards. I think uh, like there's a big difference between a live program that you can um, interact with yeah. versus something that's taped. So I think you're going to get more, uh, you know, this is the kind of people who are interested in this are the ones that want to, you know, type something in the chat. And then have you respond or, you know, are able to suggest something and then you'll talk about it, your thoughts on it, that kind yeah. of thing. So I really think that um, you're probably not going to get on a live show. You're probably not going to get as much interaction afterwards. Probably but, not. Know, um, I, I think know. one of the one of the things that I keep thinking about in the back of my head is the fact that on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're up against Midnight's Edge and Carrie Smith's channel. And, and we share an audience. The same people that are watching us are watching them. And I, I, I want to make sure that we don't miss anybody because, you know, if you guys, you guys come over here, you know, if you're watching Midnight's Edge live, you can come over here and watch us afterwards. And, and it's, it's no big deal. I mean, you don't have to be here live. It's great when you are. Um, but uh, anybody who's, who's here in Memorex mode, you're welcome to, to leave comments just like anybody else does. So I just, I just wanted to make sure that that's out there in the universe for people to know that they, they, have, they have value even if they're not here with us live. So there, there's that. You've so. got to distinguish yourself. So maybe you should pull out the hot tub and <laughs> No, no. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why people. Uh, I'm not sure why people don't come in. Well, uh, and, and it's a, it's the same kind of thing. Like when when Culture Casino says that we're criminally undersubscribed. I I think he's right, but I don't know how we get any more people to come over here and check out the channel. So it yeah, it is what it is. So I'm I'm very you know I, I want to keep my anonymity. Uh, oh sure, for various reasons, but um, I don't think that having my voice out is going to uh, you know going to compromise that maybe people think that I'm, I'm not sure yeah well and and it's like uh you know something that we've been thinking about here you know i i keep i keep thinking about this i keep looking at this polysci for me.com is still available i just 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 saying <laughs> that'd be a whole whole nother show whole, whole nother channel uh, MS says maybe you should have a show topic for the call in that would help people who are shy. May, that's not a bad idea. That's not that's a bad a idea. idea. Um, see, the thing is, there's so much that's happened this week. 
and, and you could only use it. You could use it to start off the show, right? For your yeah. first, your first fifteen minutes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Emma says there's another series I read a long time ago about a castle, and each room was like its own world. It was comedy. Hmm. Huh. That doesn't. Sound, I I don't recognize that. Nor nor do I. I'll have to think about so, that one. Do you want to uh, pivot topics and talk about the elephant in the room? Sure. That's fine. Picard. Yeah, we can talk about. Uh, oh. oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to talk about that. Well, it's know. it's not that I don't want to talk about. it. I would love to talk about it. However, we have to be very, very, very careful because the big reveal in that episode this week is something that I'm really surprised did not leak ahead of time. I nobody saw this coming. Nobody knew it was out there. Until it was out there. Now, it has since been spoiled at a few places. But it's just two days. Cam! It's just been two days. And I'm, I'm reluctant to get too detailed yet. Because I don't want to ruin it. Because that was, that was such a surprise. And I thought, oh! I had my, I had my Leonardo DiCaprio moment. Pointing at the screen, it's like, hey, hey, there's, there's so and so. That was, it was a fun piece, uh, and and the fact that we got closure from thirty years ago was was, I think, nice. Maybe you should just uh, mention it. <laughs> I mean, you know, if people uh, people can cover their ears. I mean, if they're on the show, they're listening to the show, then maybe they're not too. Uh... They're too, not too worried about it. I don't know. What do you, you guys? You guys uh, wanna want to spoil it? Do we spoil it, or or no? Do we? You, you guys? You guys let us know. In the meantime, let me bring uh, let me bring MS into the into the conversation. Welcome, sir. Oh hey. Hey. Oh hey. I have another window open. I was trying to search for that book. <laughs> I can't remember that book, too. I used to own it. I got rid of it. Uh, I I was good. I was. I came in because I was going to talk about my suggestion because, you know, I was thinking you know, like this week you didn't do a show mm-hmm. and then you do a call-in show and it's like, well, what do we talk about this week? You know what I'm saying? Because you didn't talk about nothing. Sometimes on YouTube, I see people, they, um, they put polls up. Sure. Hey, should right. I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? What should we, do you want to talk about this or this? Maybe doing a poll during the week and people can kind of, uh, Maybe at least vote on some topics or something. Because, you know, like Sci-Fi Snob obviously has a gift. You know, some people are more um, extroverted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I mean, I preach, so I learned it. (laughs) I learned how to get in front of people. That's a skill you got to develop real quick. Right? Yeah. Nobody who knows me would call me extroverted. (laughs) Well, Well, at least... At least you have a lot of thoughts. Let's say that. You're, well, you're the thing is, and this is something that I've learned. It's 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 the same for pulpit ministry. You know, if you're if you're preaching on on Sunday morning, you're up in front of a crowd, or you're teaching in a classroom, or you know, you're at you're you're a teacher in school, or whatever. At broadcast is the same way. There is uh, there is a definite skill set to being an on-air personality, let's say, mm-hmm. because 
Mr. Boss, me being here on on the TV, I am on, quote unquote. You know, I, I have a I have a presentation that I'm giving. This this is still me. Yeah. But it's me in broadcast form rather than who I am just regular everyday life. In regular everyday life, I don't want to have anything to do with anybody people. You know, I've, I've got, I've, you know, we're in the compound. I've got Mindy. We've got the dogs. Everybody else, I've, I'm perfectly fine never leaving anywhere and dealing with anybody. So there's a, there's a distinct yeah. difference between who I am here no, I understand and, that. And that, 100%. so. Yeah, I'm like that, too. And probably yeah. Snob is like that, too. And, you know, like, for me specifically, too, because I also teach, I, I'm i more like a, you know, when my wife's a teacher. She teaches English, and she's an art teacher. I teach, you know, Bible, theology. And I'm more the kind of person, I'd rather just go when, when I'm in front of students, whoever, hey, ask questions, let's interact. Yeah. And my wife's the kind of person that plans everything to the T. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm better at just, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm just better working off of people. Yeah. But people aren't normally like that. And I think with a call in show where you come in and you call in, you know, it, it's it's more conducive to the person that can think on their feet versus the person that likes to have things set before them and planned out a little bit. Sure. Sure. That makes when, a certain uh, sense. When Jason gets off the show, he changes back into his pajamas, puts his robe on, puts his pipe and slippers on, I, walks around. I will say. He when, uh, talks to his harem of he's women. He's like the storyteller yeah. from Jim Henson. Of, I, of I will say. Mindy is just the head, when right? The, when the show is done, I do deflate a little bit. Uh, but not not as much as you might think because, you know, right after the show is done, I've got all sorts of back-end stuff that I've got to do to convert it over to podcasts. So I'm still I'm still in show mode even after the show is over. Uh, but, yeah, it, at some point I, I'll, I'll deflate a bit. But I'm, I'm – So after, I'm, that's when you change into your slippers and pajamas and smoke your pipe. Yeah, yeah. And I have slippers from my pillow. <clears throat> and they're very comfortable. I like them. Same one that Hugh Hefner used to wear, right? So let me let me do this. Let's pivot to this one because this is interesting, I thought, because we had the news earlier this week that Willow had gotten canceled. Uh. However, according to John Kasdan, it's not canceled. It's, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, no. What do you mean it's not canceled? It's Just not canceled. canceled. It's on hold, he says. Hiatus. This is a very long, lengthy thing. I'm not going to go through all of it because it's three different images that he posted on Twitter, and it is um, it is a very long letter to fans, as it were. Uh, and he says here, uh, as a lifelong devotee of Deadline Hollywood, I also appreciate that punchy headlines drive clicks. So I understand how Willow canceled after one season on Disney Plus is fun and juicy. However, as I'm nearly certain I've had more conversations about this in the last couple of weeks than Nelly Andreva, of whom I remain an ardent fan. I mean, he's throwing Nelly Andreva under the bus. I feel fairly confident that if asked, neither I nor the folks at Lucasfilm would or have actually characterized it quite that way. 
He says, a decision was made last week to release our main cast for other series opportunities that may arise for them in the coming year. With oh, all, it's over. There you with go. all the TV and movies in production around the world, it feels unfair to limit an actor's availability without a clear sense of when you're going to need them again. It's further trivialized by the simple reality that the scripts we've been working on require just as many actors from our first season with whom no such contractual hold exists. Nothing prevented Annabelle Davis, for example, from taking another show, but you better believe Mims appears every single volume two chapter. So basically he's saying here that we've got this core group of actors who are under contract. They're on hold for season two. You've got these other actors who are just as much a part of season two, but their their contracts don't have them obligated on hold. To, and so they can go out and they can find other work in the meantime, but these actors here can't, like Warwick Davis, mm-hmm. for example, or any of these people. So it's not fair to them because they can't go look for work as long as they're under this contract. And that makes a certain amount of sense because... If you don't have any idea when you're going into production for season two, <clears throat> then you've got a bunch of people that are sitting around twiddling their thumbs because they can't work because they're contractually obligated not to look for work elsewhere. So, which if okay, they're ever going to go for season two, if they're ever going to go for season two. Now that that's the other question. Now he's he goes further here. He says, if you're asking, well, hey, uh, uh, Jason, just yeah. on that, what, didn't I just read an article this week? Where an actress sued because for that same reason, because she was saying that was maybe even Disney, like where she she was saying that she was under contract. It was, or they hired her and they fired. They Karen, didn't make it. Karen McCarthy. They uh, they hired her uh, for for an executive producer position on the Acolyte. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that on uh, on Ranker Pit was uh, last week. Karen McCarthy. <laughs> very much in demand as a producer. She was being courted by both Apple for a for a show they've got over there called Sugar. It's a private detective show with Colin Farrell. And they wanted her on as an executive producer. And then Leslie Headland brings her and and says, "We got this thing. We want you on board the Acolyte as an executive producer." And McCarthy, now this is not to be confused with Christine McCarthy, the CFO of Disney, different person. Karen McCarthy is the producer. And she's looking at these two different offers. Here's Apple Plus, detective mm-hmm. show, nobody knows anything yes. about it, Star Wars. You know, long term, this is probably going to be the one that's going to get me more prestige because it's Star Wars, right? <clears throat> so she takes the Star Wars gig, yeah. Which was offered to her on a Friday to start in England Monday. You have three days to pack up your stuff, move to the UK. Here's the offer: we're going to give you all, we're going to give you a weekly per diem for for rent and all this. I mean, they threw a bunch of money at her in this deal, and then somebody after she's done work. Somebody at Disney said, well, no, we didn't hire you. We, we, we didn't, no, we're not going to pay you anything. We didn't hire you. And so now she's suing for one, for four different things. Breach of contract, uh, um, breach of good faith, 
and a couple of failure to pay wages and one other one. And, and basically the way that the way this this thing is structured, uh, Andrew at legal uh, legal legal mindset was on with Valiant Renegade. They went through this. And basically what he's saying is that the way this thing is structured, Disney can get dinged. Lucasfilm could get dinged on any one of these four. So if one of them gets thrown out, the others can still stand. <clears throat> And so you have breach of contract, you have uh, a breach of good faith, which basically says Lucasfilm lied to me, or somebody yeah. did, whether it was Leslie Headland that said, hey, come on board this thing in order to kind of force force Disney's hand or whatever, but Karen McCarthy is sitting there saying, you guys owe me money, not only for the work that I did on the Acolyte, but also you owe me for the damages that result from my not getting work at Apple because my taking this job prevented me from taking that job. And so there's, there's, there's financial, yeah, so couldn't financial there be impact. a similar situation now with, with the Willow cast and these guys? I mean, no, because just, that's, 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 a, crazy. that's a normal thing. Whenever you have, okay. whenever you have a series and you have a set of series regular cast, uh, going from one season to the next, you're going to put them on hold for a certain amount of time. And, and especially if you don't know if you're, you're going to get picked up for a second season or a third or a fourth or whatever, you have your cat, you have your main cast on hold for a certain amount of time because if the network decides to pick it up and your actors are suddenly not available, then you don't have a show. So this is fairly common. This is, this is, uh, this is standard practice for for series production to make sure that your that your main cast is still in place when you go into your next season. The fact that they've released them from their contracts says they don't have any idea when the next season is going to pick up. So if ever. So the 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 main Willow cast has been released from their contracts, that correct? Yes, that's correct. So that you that usually means the show is over because usually. then those people go off to to do work. I mean, when people were talking about uh, Firefly, getting Firefly back together, oh, we want this big, well, yeah. you know, you're not going to get all the actors because they're all doing other things now. Um, yeah. Raised by Wolves is a great show that uh, got canceled after two seasons. Um, and there's a big, there's a, you know, not a big, a, a groundswell of people who are trying to get it back. But, you know, I'm, I'm part of a Discord, but, uh, you know, it's going to fail because the actors have been released. They'll all go off to do other things. You're not going to be able to get them all back together again yeah. to do it. It won't be the same show. So. Right. And and according to Kasdan here, it it's not it's not his fault <clears throat> because he's sitting there saying, uh, due to forces much larger and more intricate than I would ever pretend to fully understand, production of streaming shows is slowing down across the entire industry, and Willow won't resume filming in the next twelve months. Now. That is that is accurate. We're starting to see a slowdown of all the streaming stuff. And Bob Iger even came out and said, you know, quality over quantity, they're cutting back. Everybody's got to cut back because streaming doesn't make any money. And the economy being the way it is, nobody's making any money. They got to, they got to figure out how to cut their expenses and cut their costs. So they're going to slash shows left and right this is we're this is not going to be an isolated thing willow is not going to be the only thing that gets canceled they're going to cut back on all the marvel stuff they're going to slow down movie productions 
and they're going to rein in. We saw that with Netflix canceling that $130 million rom-com from Nancy Myers. I mean, I don't know why anybody would spend $130 on a rom-com, but Jeez, okay. That's a lot. That is a lot. I you know, I you do a rom-com for a rom-com six. Com was you could make it for cheap. Well, <laughs> when you consider the talent that they had uh, 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 associated with it, I mean, it was spo- it was going to be uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, I think Chris Evans, a couple of uh, some name Marvel names basically in this thing. Four of them. I was like, well, there's there's three fourths of your budget right there. Why would you do that? You know, you don't need yeah, 130 million for a rom com. You use 60 million and get some get some less expensive actors. You know, put Danica McKellar in there. She's great. Ask uh, Ask Hallmark how they do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they do have scripts written for volume two, Kasdan says. <clears throat> for, for Willow? For Willow. They've got the scripts. Well, you know, I watched a couple of videos. <laughs> I want to say this. Before the before the show came out, I bought the book, a physical copy of the the uh, script, you know, in a book form. They had the extra scenes that were cut out. Mm-hmm. I bought the movie to rewatch it again. Then I started watching some reviews, and I was like, okay, so Willow doesn't have any powers. <laughs> he lost his <laughs> wizard powers. It, yeah, it's a mess. Uh, like, that's like the number one thing. <laughs> the main character's not even a wizard anymore. Well, the Come main on. character's barely in it. Uh, he goes on I to mean, say here, he says, "I uh, three weeks ago, we got a third season of Party Down, 13 years after season two. Between seasons two and three of Atlanta, four years. Curb Your Enthusiasm seasons eight and nine had a hi- had a hiatus of six years. Not to mention this little movie I love called Willow that didn't get its well deserved sequel for thirty five years. Now he's got a he's got a point, you know, and some of that COVID pandemic whatever, but some of it Except you know those it are could all be... good shows. <laughs> well, there's that. They're those they're good, not you know Curb Your Enthusiasm is a good show that a lot of people like. Yeah, not everybody, but a lot of people like. I mean, if you put out a piece of crap, you know nobody cares. Yeah. But, you know, this whole thing, he's like, you know, yeah, I, I want to hear. I, I like hearing from the fans who love it. I also like hearing from the fans who are critiquing all of this. You know, this is, you know, fans, fans are going to be fans and fans are going to be divided about certain things that they like and they don't like. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Willow, all of them. And I like I like the fact that he at least acknowledges that. And the fact that we should be able to have dialogue about all of this, even though Twitter blue-haired crazy people be in the way they are, it's not a very pro- productive but when dialogue. But when are companies going to learn that Twitter, the reality of Twitter, is obviously not the reality of the real world? Because every time you follow the Twitter crowd and you do what they want, your shows fail. Yeah. I it, it's, it's a conversation that... Uh, Tim and I have a lot because Tim Tim is is of that mindset. Tim believes you know Twitter is not reality. Nobody should be paying attention to social media at all. And I agree with him, except you have ample evidence that shows demonstrably proves that corporations are paying attention to social media for good or ill. They are paying attention to social media because they see, they have it in their heads for whatever reason, that social media is the microcosm that represents the macrocosm. 
And from an ad, from an uh, an advertising standpoint, I can kind of understand that because back in the day when we had the letter writing campaigns, networks assumed fairly consistently and fairly accurately that any time you had people that were actually writing letters for whatever reason, I'm complaining about this or I I, I like this, or, you know, these these letters were representative of a larger number of people who didn't write in. And the assumption and whether it was, you know, the write-in campaign to save Star Trek or, you know, people sending broccoli to the to the to the front lawn of the White House or, you know, people sending peanuts to save Jericho, it even if it's just a product, you know, I don't like your razor Gillette. I'm writing a I'm 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 sending you a sternly worded letter. <clears throat> the assumption has always been in the marketing uh, environment that those letters, the people who actually took the time to do it, were representative of a larger group, say anywhere from fifty to five hundred people. Yeah. And so there's a significant chunk of people who agree with the person who wrote this I'll letter. I'll say one thing about letter writing, though. There's. Uh, the, the problem with social media is, you know, how often do you get upset or angry about something? All the time. And then and then later you calm down. <laughs> yeah. You calm down, right? And you you think a little bit more rationally about it. And what yeah. social media allows you to do, it just allows you to vent that anger like immediately without having any kind of rational thought or chance to sit down and think about it. Whereas if you have to write a letter. You know, you got to find a paper, the pencil, an envelope, the stamp. You yeah. got to melt. You know, you got time to calm down while you're writing the letter and to think about it. And I think that's the problem with social media. Social media doesn't allow time for an individual who who his emotions have overtaken them to step back from his emotions or her emotions, whoever, and and just have a little bit more rational thought before they do something they might regret. Yeah. Not only well, that, okay. but you have the algorithm feeding that rage. And and building on that, and oh, you don't like that? Well, you're certainly not going to like this. And what about this over here? You're really not going to like this. And so it just kind of compounds and escalates in a cascade effect all the way across. And you're right. There's no there's no buffer time. There's no time to sit there and go, do I really want to send this? Do I really want to hit the send button? No, nobody nobody thinks that way. And 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 I I got into my my kid has an assumption about me with regard to certain things. And I'm like, do you understand? Because he he's he's concerned about <coughs> some of my disciplinary actions. And and I'm like, in the time that it would take me to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this, you could leave the room. I mean, it's, it's not going to be one of these things that just instantly happens. And social media is the same kind of thing. We've been conditioned that it all happens at once, immediately. And there's no, it, there's no downtime. There's no time to sit there and think about things. And take a moment to take a breath and go, let me think about this for a second. Do I really want to well, do this? Okay, well, while I'm not going to disagree with anything that Jason and MS have said, good because I mean, we're right. <laughs> it it's still, I mean, what I'm going to say is that it doesn't really matter because the principles, the elements of a good story have been set out for thousands of years. We all know a good story when we see it. Mm -hmm. It's almost built into our DNA. 
from all the way back, Beowulf and the you know the 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 start of our myths. Right. So while you know what you're so talking about um, social media is correct, I mean these people are putting out crap stories. They're crap stories. So right. I mean, how can you how can you as a writer go on and say, okay, I, we have thousands of years of good story writing. I'm going to throw that all, all out because someone on Twitter says that there should be more. I have the, no, but I have the answer for that. Corporate executives, because the corporate executives don't care about story. The corporate executives have never read Campbell. They've never read Robert McKee. They don't know beans about story. It's like we've been talking about with Star Trek. The networks, the studios, nobody has ever understood Star Trek when they were making Star Trek. Paramount but that's has why they hire people to write it for I know. Them. But nowadays, they don't care who they have writing the stories either because it's not about the story. It's about the agendas that we can push with all of the ESG crap. Yeah. And they don't care about story. It's like, oh, you're going to tell haven't Joe- they? But come on, you've got to see that whenever you push the agenda and you don't write a good story, it fails miserably. And that's look the, the audience's look fault. Look at the battleground of movies and yeah. television littered with crap. And how many? Let me say something to, to you that will help you understand because I heard this this week from John Wright on his podcast. And he's a, he's a Catholic he's Christian. And he said that, um, you know, if I'm going to tell somebody, uh, share my faith with somebody, I don't care how much they, how much persecution I get. I'm going to do it because I believe it's right. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do it out of anger. You know, Mm. as a good Christian, I would do it the right way. And his point was that that's how the people feel about their ideology today is that they don't care if they're making money or not making money or if it costs them something or they're going to lose something in the process because their ideology is so so more more important to them than telling the story that we think is good and I never thought about it like that like yeah. he he was really showing you like this is the mindset of this kind of a person it's not well, about having a good story the ideology that's... is a religion and pushing that religion is more important than telling the good story. Well, and, that and, and MS, that's a good point. Yeah, but, but MS. The difference, the, between, the difference between religion and, like, a religion is supposed to push its religion. That's what its job is. Its job is not to make money. Right. Yeah, the movies is. and television, their job is, their religion is to make money first. Like, no. That's their job. No. no Used to no, be, no. anyways. It, 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 depending, depending on if you have the right person in charge. David Zaslav understands what you're saying. It, it's about making profit. It's about making money. We have a business. Business needs to make money. You have people at various different levels in the corporate suites who do not, who have absolutely no concern whatsoever about about the profit, because like Ms. says, it's about the message, and those, and those so people many people are... have hijacked, even you know, with a with a with an ideology, with a faith, and and that's what this is. This is a belief system. Uh, it's Marxist at its core, but you have people in Hollywood, in in politics, and all these uh, you know corporate executives and whatnot, who have this this religion of uh, of Marxism, oppressed versus the oppressor, you know, critical race theory and and representation and identity and all of this mess, and 
the the movies and the television and the books are the way we get our message out. This is their this is their process of evangel uh, of of evangelizing their ideology to the masses. If I'm if I'm preaching at a church, I watch I watch a, 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 a church service online on Sundays from Arkansas. And they get online, and it's it's the church service, it's the worship service, and and the preacher gets up in the in the in the pulpit and does his thing, and we're able to watch it online. That's the that's the process by which they spread the message. Same kind of thing with movies and televisions and books and comic books and video games and and corporate America and the advertising and all this other stuff. We're using these media channels in order to propagate our message. And that actually goes back to what MS had said before about, you know, when you criticize these projects, when you criticize these TV shows and these movies, you're criticizing the people that make them because they identify with whoever is, you know, they identify with that project. You're this is a piece their of religion. <laughs> and, and Cam makes a good point. Uh, we've raised a generation that no longer understands storytelling. And this goes to what you're saying, Snob. We've got people who don't understand story because you've got an entire generation and we've talked about this before. They are not literate. They don't understand. They've not read Melville. They haven't read uh, uh, Jane Austen or or D. H. Lawrence or or Henry David Thoreau or Ben Franklin or you know Screw Tape Letters. You see C.S. Lewis or Tolkien or, or 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 Ursula Le Guin or Asimov or Bradbury. Nobody, you know, gets it. They have to understand the foundation. Of what we have as science fiction didn't come from that TV show that you watched two years ago. That TV show that you watched two years ago is based on something that somebody wrote 80 years ago. And and you have an entire generation of creators who don't understand the foundation of the genre. They've not read Mary Shelley. They haven't read Frankenstein. They haven't read Foundation. They haven't read... Uh, 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 the Illustrated Man. They haven't read James Blish or Ted Sturgeon or any of those guys. And that even and Jason that even goes back to like when um the the girl uh, Jennifer uh, from the Hunger Games said like I'm the I was the first female action yeah, star. Right. History means nothing to them. They yeah. don't even know it exists. It didn't happen sometime. before. If the, if it didn't happen after they were born, it didn't happen. So it's crazy. Again, I I don't disagree with what you're saying, but again. You know, the primary thing is that, you know, you're using the religion uh, and comparing it to a, a movie uh, studio. But a movie studio has shareholders. They have business people. They have to make money. A religion is not uh, is not set to make money specifically. I mean, maybe, right, uh, you know, L. Ron Hubbard's you're, is. You're thinking, but, you're but thinking, generally speaking. Yeah, but you're thinking in I'm, terms I'm, of goals. Yeah. And that, I'm suggesting, I'm, I'm not saying apply. what you said is wrong, but. A movie theater, a movie, a movie studio has a goal, and they have to make money, and that goal is going to overcome but their they, wokeness they are at some money. point. It has to because the, otherwise, yep. it will cease to exist. They, that a religion can that, still exist without money. That won't be a thing until ESG money goes away, because right now they're not making they're not they're not making all of this stuff for profit. They're making this stuff to match to make quotas for the ESG grant money from the government. Yeah. Now, How when much, that I dries mean, up, when that goes away, then sure, there's going to be a come to Jesus meeting in the corporate suites, and they're going to say, "Hey, what happened?" 
And I think those meetings have already happened over at Warner Brothers Discovery. And I think somebody I, probably had that stu- that meeting at Disney, and there was some panic, and that's why Bob Chapek's gone. I don't see how they could make as much money. I mean, how much money does the U.S. can the U.S. government give them in grants to make up for the the billions that they're losing? Mark, I, I you can't. See all the money we gave I to think. Ukraine. It yeah. just went right down the toilet. We'll just, yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll just print, 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 print it. Print what we need. Print it and give it. Yeah, we just print what we need. That's how we're going to bail out the banks. Scheme, that's different. Uh, that's different because that money gets to come back to the politicians. But, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Disney gives them that much. Everything, anyway, everything cycles anyway, back. I, right? My point is that it cannot last forever. There's a fundamental difference between, I, I agree, they're using yeah. it like a religion, but a religion's job is not to make money per se, usually. Its job is to spread its message, while right. a movie theater is, a movie studio's job is to make money, and then spreading a message is a secondary, yeah, maybe, be. part of that. It should, should be. be. Yeah. And, and that's why I eventually to 65 and go see it because yeah. you know I read I found out Adam Driver joined the military after 9/11. Yeah, he's a Marine. He supports veterans. Yeah, when I read a, that I was like I'm going to go see this movie in the theater and support people like this who make good movies and and do good things for people. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, literature has always had a message. I mean, that's why I mean, you know, you look at uh, the LGBTQ uh, stuff would not be as accepted as it is today if there wasn't uh, an effort in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to put gay characters on television right. and p- portray them in a generally a positive light, you know, generally. So, I mean, you know, for sure there's an agenda. People have an agenda, and uh, and they, they push it. But, you know, w- literature has always done that, so. I think, uh, I, you're right, literature's done that, but I think in the last... <sighs> Six or seven years, or maybe even going back even further, that you can go back to you know the the beginnings of the Obama administration in in that time period. But in the entertainment world, when when uh, Ghostbusters twenty sixteen happened, that was one of those pivot points in in terms of all of this, you know, representation and message and identity and all of that. And yes, you're having some. Stuff like Will and Grace on NBC that's that's yeah. showing gay characters in a positive light and Three's and Company, Three's Company, but it's done in a way that's not that's entertaining. It yeah exactly. Funny, there's there's not a whatever. there's not an overriding in your face. You yes. must like this or else message, and that's what we've been seeing in the last ten years. And no, I think I, I think we're I starting agree. to see the pendulum swing a little bit back towards center on that, because, you know, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, we had Elizabeth Banks kind of walking back her comments uh, with regard to Charlie's Angels, because when Charlie's Angels failed, uh, she's she's like, well, it's because, you know, the audience is sexist. And a few months ago or a few weeks ago, she she walked that back. That well, maybe, maybe it just maybe we just didn't make the movie that people wanted to see. So people are starting to wake up, and I think the audience is starting to wake up. You know, we see what's going on with Marvel Phase Four and into Marvel Phase Five. Nobody wants to see this stuff anymore. The audience is tired, and some of it is sequel fatigue. It's it's right. It's bad story fatigue. Yeah. Can I I say something? You look back by you just go back to something like let's say Archie Bunker is the classic, right? 
I mean, there's a show that they're writing that they're trying to show, you know, they're trying to, it's trying to push, you know, certain 50s away from certain 50s stereotypes. So they they put a very stereotypical main character on there and they see him interacting with these people uh, that he's, you know, he's supposed to not like. And they're not so bad people. Yeah. And so you go, all right, well, you know, and he changes a little bit as the show goes on. He's like, becomes a little more accepting. And that's the way that they're, you know, they used to do it. Look, here are these people that, you know, you may not like, but you see they're people just like you and they're not so bad. Yeah. Um, but now it's a baseball bat to the head, right? Yes. Like, yeah. It's, uh, and it's just, and Archie, you know, go back and watch Archie Bunker and it's good. It's good. Sto- like the stories are interesting yeah. and there's back and forth. And I, I mean, I personally go back and watch Ar- Archie Bunker and listen to him make fun of, uh, what is it? Mike, the hippie and, uh, think, yeah, yeah, yeah me he's right about the hippie. Yeah. He's look how right he is, but, uh, um, you're probably not supposed to do that, but, um, uh, it's come full circle, like the whole. Well, and, and it, meathead has proven to be a meathead. A meathead, yes. Yeah. You can go, and no, not to say that Bunker is is yeah. is a right about everything either, but MSU, uh, you know, a meathead. meathead is just yeah. as much a meathead as Archie yes, Bunker. Yeah, yeah. Right? MSU, like, that's why it's funny. Yeah. The difference too is that today it's it's if 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 that show was written with well, all in the family, right? If that show was written today. What would happen is is I think the Jeffersons were a spinoff, right? Yes, of of all in the family. Yeah. So how that show would be written today is is the Jeffersons would be the family, Archie Bunker would be the neighbor, and he would come over, and all they would do is, is um, uh, you know, disparage him, and tell him that how horrible he is, and how you need to like us, and you suck. But that show took a different approach and said, here's a guy who was raised a certain way. And now he's being he's the world is entering his house through his daughter, through his yeah. neighbors It's changing around him. And he's being forced to challenge some of his views and he changes as a person yeah. and that makes him a better person. Yeah. And so that that's the difference. They it's not even just beating you on the head. It's we're not even trying to convert you. We we don't care about you. You just need to like us and you should just feel like you suck and you're a loser. And I want to say going back to something Jason said. You know, all the classics that you you brought up, all these classic books, right? You know, whether or not uh, these people were Christians, many of them were not. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, though, grew up reading the Bible, which it kind of lays out how to write a good story, how to show character growth in people and not to overpass their weaknesses and the bad points in their life and how to foretell certain things and how to even tell a good a good story or how to put mythical elements into things or how to, you know, a lot of those people read those stories growing up, read the Bible growing up and they learned it from that. Mm -hmm. Now you go to a school and what you learn is you learn from somebody who tells you this is what makes a good story is the character needs to be 40% this, 40% that, 10% this. And one percent that if it's not, you know, if it's if that, I told my friend yesterday, maybe if I say this, he might get kicked off YouTube. But I said, hey, you want to win an Oscar? It's real easy. Just make a movie about a hobbit who's black and gay and fat, and you'll win every Oscar there is. Because it's not about you don't even have to have a good story. Yeah. It's the character that wins the Oscar now. It's not the story that wins the Oscar. Although, well, I, although this this past this past Oscars, you know, everything everywhere all at once, 
Uh, things sweeps. are changing. Yeah, things, I, mean, I, I, mean, I think things are changing. I think the can, pendulum's swinging can, back. You know, it, do you want to win an Oscar or do you want to be a success? Right. That's the question. Yeah. You, you, if you write a good story, your movie, book, whatever, <clears throat> will be a success, and it will go on forever. No one will remember those crappy movies that they gave um, Oscars to because for woke points. They will go into the dustbin of history. No one will be watching them in fifty years. Yep. Did did last year? Did Wakanda Forever win something? I don't remember. I don't remember. No, that uh, was no. this year's Oscars. This, yeah, this and year. it, it didn't. It didn't win. It didn't win anything. No. I don't think. You know, nobody is going to remember these movies that they they put the world points because they're not good movies. Right. You gotta write a good story. So you know, I mean, just to sum up, that's what my point was that. Uh, you know, I, I agree with what you guys are saying, but I don't think it's it's not going to last because everybody goes back to their back to their primal, and companies need to make money. And at some point, they're not going to be making they're not making any money. I think it, the tide is already turning. They haven't made money. All this stuff is crap. People don't like it. Uh, people are are turn, tuning out, going away, doing other things. Yep. And the people who are doing good stories are getting all the money, and they will quickly change their tune. Yes, which means we need to get more Terry Trek. I want to say that no, don't Terry Metalis, not not Kurtzman. <laughs> Terry Metalis, give it, give I it, to, let say, Terry Metalis do it. Uh, I found this other author I was talking about earlier. His name's John DeChancey. Okay, and he wrote a series called Castle Pearlless, and it's kind of a comedy. There's, it's very hard to find comedy <laughs> fantasy books. <laughs> that's why Robert Lynn Asprin and and uh, John DeChancey and I, there's another one I can't remember and going back you know just going back uh, snob back to the Red Dwarf thing even if your daughter doesn't like uh, science fiction the only reason why I recommended it was because when it comes to British humor their first two books are really like you know they're dead on British humor it's best you're going to get when it, next to him next yeah, to uh I I don't like to admit that my children are not as big a fan of science fiction as I am. It's very embarrassing. So. <laughs> I try to convert them, but I'm, you know, you can only do so much. Yeah. At least they like to read. So, you know, be, they, they be love to that. read. They go. are voracious yeah. readers. Reading well, is my fundamental. Kid reads, my kid loves to read um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And I keep he's trying a, to buy him like real books. Oh, he's a boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, my uh, my daughter's ten, and she's she's eating up all these uh, Archies, like old, yeah, style Archie diet. And you know what? I'm like, I don't care what it is, whatever. She shouldn't care what it is. Just get them to read, 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 and they will eventually, uh, you know, try, you know, try to introduce them to other stuff. But don't worry about it. They will eventually move on to things that are better. There is a series of books, and it's not fantasy. They're mysteries. Um, it's a series of books called The Three Investigators. There's about 80 of them. Uh, and originally, it was Alfred Hitchcock Presents The Three Investigators. And these three kids uh, who get together and decide they're going to be private detectives, teenagers, and it's a really good series of books. I've got all of them, and they're they're excellent entry points. It, you know, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Three Investigators, Encyclopedia Brown. All of those are really good. Yeah. Now it's not yeah, fantasy. It's so Brown, yeah. you know, there's there's but already a set of good, books good. called The Investigators, right? 
except that it's like the investor gator as in a alligator. My daughter has a bunch of those. I haven't seen those. I haven't seen those. The investigators. Yeah. Well, my wife likes mysteries. So I I bought a manga called Case Closed for my son, which is like a, he's like supposed to be like Sherlock Holmes, but he shrunk or something back to a kid. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, well-rounded readers make better writers, you know, so... Uh, and, and, and it, and it works better for understanding people too. You know, you have, you have characters that have experiences and even though they're fiction, you're, you're kind of vicariously having those experiences with them. And it's not your lived experience like they want to talk about, but you're seeing how people react to things and how, how people deal with things in these stories and you can draw from that, and you can sit there. Oh well, what would Jim Kirk do with this? And what would you know? How how should I respond to this? How should I react to this when something happens to me? And I don't I don't think people understand that as much as they should. Hey, I'll say it's, this too. Sometimes you just gotta force your kid. Like you know, my kids <laughs> did not want to watch Labyrinth, and I just sat them down in front of the TV and said, "You're watching Labyrinth." Yeah. When it was over, they're like, "Oh, we love that movie, Dad. It's awesome." I told you. And the other day, I popped on ALF. And I was in class. The kids got done with the test. We had like 10 minutes. And it was too cold to go outside. I was like, hey, I'm just going to find something on the TV to watch. And ALF was on there. And the kids were laughing at the school. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the kids don't know what's best for them. You just got to let them know. I would say that all the time. Kids don't know what's best for them. Yeah, pretty much most yeah. of the time. All right, gentlemen. Uh, reading reading is fundamental. Reading is yeah. fundamental. All right, we're going to leave Dirtier it there. Earlier the better. And uh, let, uh, let uh, that be the last word that we have today because I still got to finish prep for tomorrow. Um, t- coming up. Oh, wait, I have one question. You can, yes. you can say yes. Or, did the D&D movie did it have a setup for a sequel? It's open to a sequel. It's not directly. There's no cliffhanger. But it is okay. open for a sequel if they want so to. So it's one, it's one module. It's yeah, it's one module. Now that's perfect. The other thing too is you could do the way this thing is set up. You could do a D and D movie with a completely different cast of characters, and still be okay. Yeah, because they've established Neverwinter. They've established this realm, and you could have these characters oh. continue and stuff. But you could also introduce other things. You could do this whole thing, almost like an anthology of movies set in this universe, and you don't have to have, drop them into Neverwinter, and you've got a brand new cast of characters. Hey, imagine a movie that's fun that people can go watch. Right. And it's fun. It's got some good characters, a little bit of action. I mean, geez. Yeah. What's not to like? I know. I do recommend it. All right. And I also recommend that you join us tomorrow morning for Good Morning Multiverse, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. We will be talking about all of the news. We will be giving you the headlines of the week. And uh, we do want you to also connect with us on various different social medias and uh, the Discord server over there. So uh, find us over there. Uh, for all of that, and that's uh, that's it for us, gentlemen. Thanks very much for being here and calling in and sharing your thoughts. No problem. Thanks for having us. Appreciate that, and uh, thanks to all of you for being here as well. And that's going to do it for us today. I will leave you with this thought: Go see D and D. 
The store is coming at some point one of these days. The media lies to you. They want you to think there are five lights, but there are four lights. Back Monday. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 